God isn't the charity case here. We are. God saved us. And so we praise him. We praise God in response to his deliverance. God has met our neediness with his grace. And as I said, this is the backbone of the psalm. The, the, the psalm says praise is response to salvation. Um, and praise comes out of David's prayer for salvation uh, in verses 6 to 10. That's the way that the structure of the psalm, 6 to 10, is David retelling this moment when he prayed for salvation. And then uh, before and after it are these exclamations of praise. So let's step through the rest of the psalm. Verses 1 to 3, we've already considered. They're the summary. And then David gives us three reasons we should continue to praise God. And that'll be my three headings stepping through the rest of the psalm. So firstly, we praise because God's anger lasts only a moment. Verses, uh, that's verses 4 and 5. Have a look at verse 4. It says, Sing to Yahweh, you his faithful ones, and praise his holy name, for his anger lasts only a moment, but his favor a lifetime. We praise because his anger lasts only a moment. You can turn to God in your need, and his anger will pass. All hardships in life uh, are at least indirectly from the hand of God. Uh, And yet God is about showing favor. God loves to love, not show anger. His anger lasts only a moment. It's it's asymmetric. Uh, do, Do the maths right. A moment of his anger versus a lifetime of joy, of his favor. And so when you're faced with God's anger, turn to him in prayer and it will pass. It will pass in a moment. But notice this is is acknowledging that there is hardship, that there will be a time of hardship. Verse 5 continues saying, Weeping may spend the night, but there is joy in the morning. Weeping is is the night guest, the night visitor, the visitor in the night. I don't know if you've ever had a really bad night guest, someone that comes and stays the night. I haven't actually, but you know, you can imagine they don't make their bed, they don't wash the dishes, a really bad night guest. Well, that's weeping, the bad visitor at night. But in the morning, joy. Make no mistake, though, there is a dark night. But joy in the morning. Verses 4 and 5, they affirm, as I say, that there is hardship, but that it will pass quickly and it will be eclipsed by joy. And we see this profoundly in the life of Jesus, don't we? Jesus says to his disciples in John chapter 16, Verse 20, I assure you, you will weep and wail, but the world will rejoice and you will become sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn to joy. Jesus is saying the world will laugh at you because you follow me. We will be sorrowful, but Jesus promises that our sorrow will turn to joy. And he continues, Jesus continues, verse 21, when a woman is in labor, she has pain because her time has come. But when she has given birth to a child, she no longer remembers the suffering because of the joy that a person has been born into the world. So you also have sorrow now, but I will see you again. Your hearts will rejoice. No one will rob you of your joy. Sorrow now, but then rejoicing. No one will rob us of our joy. Jesus says, I will see you again. You know, he's saying this to his disciples just before he he goes. And he's saying, I will be back. You will have a time of great joy, and it will be soon. Fix your eyes on Jesus, knowing that soon you will rejoice with him, though now pain and wailing. 
And, and it's interesting, the example Jesus uses is childbirth. Uh, childbirth, uh, look, it's become a little bit more real for me in the last few years. Uh, I've you know, got three little ones now. And uh, I'd always seen childbirth you know, in the movies. I'd, I'd always been told it was the most painful thing someone could go through. Uh, and, you know, in the movies it did look pretty bad. But uh, now I've, I've uh, been through three in, in there, seen them firsthand, three of them, not including my own, that would be four. Uh, I don't remember that. Uh, and I've got to say, it's, it's, uh, it's pretty bad. It's uh, huge kudos to any mums out there. You are massive heroes. It is... Uh, well, let's just say that um, I can't watch the movies anymore. You know, there's a childbirth scene in the movie. It's... The being in there was so traumatic, I actually can't watch Nikki. Nikki, who actually did the childbirth, she has to, like, mute it for me and tell me when it's over so I can look back. I actually just genuinely find it too traumatic. Uh, I've lost all credibility now, haven't I? Well, Jesus, though, just think about what he's doing. He's trying to describe what life is like and the pain in life, and he says it's like childbirth. That's, that's a staggering comparison, isn't it? Out of pain, though, comes new life. I mean, what a joy. I've got three kids, and they are such a joy. And uh, if they were running around here, you could, uh, you could share that with me. Um, they're at home sick. <laughs> but what a joy comes from that pain. And that's the point that Jesus makes. Uh, and, uh, you know, it's uh, out, of, out of great pain comes new life. New life. Uh, and that's what Jesus is saying is happening with, with our time in this world. A time of pain for new life, eternal life. Um, 2 Corinthians 4 17 uh, kind of sums it up. It says, For our momentary light affliction is producing for us an absolutely incomparable eternal weight of glory. So we do not focus on what is seen, but what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. What amazing words. But the point is, this momentary affliction producing an incomparable glory. And so our sorrow in this life, it may be very serious. It's, uh, there's, no, there's no easy ways out. It, life can be very hard. Uh, we, we, can, we can watch loved ones even, even die. Like it, life is, is very sad at its worst. And that's, uh, that's what Jesus and the psalmist are, are being real about, aren't they? They're not glossing over it. They're saying life can be like that. And they're reminding us, joy to come. Joy to come. There will be a day of pure joy. It will eclipse the pain. Jesus, of course, is the one who passed through sorrow to the point of death, died. He wept uh, at the anger, the wrath that he would face to bring this joy into the world. Jesus, the one who is telling us all of this. Jesus is the one who achieved this through his pain that now we can pray and praise and know that in the morning there will be joy. I don't need to tell you that life's hard, uh, you know, uh, impossibly hard sometimes. Our money, our health, our relationships, there's plenty to cause concern. But know that God's anger passes in a moment. His joy lasts a lifetime. You know, the balance book may not balance. The medical scan, it, it may come back negative. The relationship may be broken, 
But God, the one who matters most, his anger passes in a moment. And so when you look at all that is wrong, know that he who matters most will smile upon you in just a moment. Well, our next reason then in the psalm for why we need to praise more is because our pride causes us to forget. It's verses 6 and 7. Our pride causes us to forget, to forget that it is God who saves us. Verse 6 says, When I was secure, I said, I will never be shaken. When we're secure, we think there's no need to pray to God, to, to praise him. When everything's going well, we quickly forget. We forget that it is God who made us secure. Verse 7 continues, Lord, when you showed your favor, you made me stand like a strong mountain. When you hid your face, I was terrified. The strong is strong because God showed them favor. The bodybuilder, the the successful business person, the sharp-witted intellect, they stand like strong mountains because of God's favor. God has given them a gift. But do they remember God? Do they thank him and praise them? Or do they say, as David says in the psalm, I will never be shaken. Such pride's easy to see in others. But how easily when life's running well or even just running okay, how easily do we forget? And it's not until verse 7 when you hid your face until God is not there that we fall and are terrified and realize how fragile life is. And life, life is so fragile. We are so weak. Uh, it's so easy to forget that in our strength. Uh, I was reminded of this um, uh, a couple of weeks ago. Uh, almost 8,000 patients of a, a UK oncology ward were sent uh, this text message on December 23rd. It said, diagnosis, aggressive lung cancer. 8,000 people sent this message. Uh, it's telling them to fill out the form which allows terminal patients to receive benefits. Uh, but an hour later, they received the second text there, uh, again, to 8,000 people, saying, please accept our sincere apologies for the previous text message sent. This has been an error. Our message to you should have read, we wish you a very Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. That is dark. A horrifying mistake. Um, and uh, media, media interviews with people, you know, you can just imagine some of the reactions to this that, uh, were terrible. You know, some, some patients who were actually waiting on results, of course, broke down. It, 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 it broke them, they said. Others knew it was a mistake. Uh, and some were concerned and, and they wondered if it's possible in them there could be this cancer they didn't know about, um, you know, without realizing it. And so, as I say, apart from being bizarre, it, it just reminded me once again of just how fragile life is. That you know, We don't know. Our, our life is but a moment. Uh, and David says in verse 7, Lord, when you showed your favor, you made me stand like a strong mountain. When you hid your face, I was terrified. It, it's terrifying when we forget that it is God who makes us and keeps us strong. There we are, you know, uh, we, uh, we're left wobbling, standing, and we suddenly realize how precarious the position in life is, our health, whatever it is, right? Uh, we realize when God hides his face just how insecure we are. 
And so David gives us a reason to live in ceaseless praise. It's because our pride causes us to forget that it's God who delivers us. And that's why you need to praise God more. Praise him every day, every hour, because we so easily forget, as David did, that all is from God. Well, finally then, we need to praise God more because it is the very purpose of our lives. Verses 8 and 9, um, our whole lives are meant to praise. That is our purpose. People, um, people often can't tell you what their purpose in life is. It's actually one of my favorite walk-up evangelism questions, you know, if I'm on the uni campus or in the park. And I'll just I'll say to someone, you know, what would you say the purpose of your life is? And it's, it's fascinating seeing what they say. Uh, they think I'm a bit, bit unusual because it's not really a normal kind of question. But that's okay. I'm, I'm, I'm down with that. You already know that I'm a bit unusual. Look, I was reminded uh, about this, though, a couple of weeks ago when the... Uh, do you remember the American football player who collapsed after a, a tackle? Uh, Buffalo Bills player Damar Hamlin collapsed on field. He required CPR. Uh, and the game wasn't resumed because everyone was so uh, disturbed by the incident because it looked a lot like a, a previous incident where a player did die in the 70s. Um, this time, though, thankfully, Damar um, suffered only cardiac arrest. And he, he woke uh, and he communicated with his doctors... Uh, so he's there in hospital, and, and one of the first things he said uh, to his doctor, who came, uh, first thing he asked was, who won the game? Who won the game? And the doctor replied, Damar, you won. You won the game of life. And I, I love that. Uh, and it just made me think, uh, this is what mattered to this footy player. It's kind of his whole life. And like he's, he's almost died, but to him, that's, his life is in service of the game, and he wants to know who won <laughs> Uh, well, David in the psalm, he asks what his life is for. Verses 9 and 10, they're fascinating. If I'm honest, uh, I've always been intrigued by them. It's why I chose the psalm to preach uh, on this week uh, with you. I'm just so intrigued by David's reasoning here. Look at how he reasons in verse 9. What gain is there in my death if I go down to the pit? Will the dust praise you? Will it proclaim your truth? What's going on? Is, is David trying to bargain with God here? God, you know, you need me to praise you. If I die, who's going to praise you then? It, it's almost uh, as if David's trying to blackmail God with his own life. He uses a term of uh, business or commerce here. What gain or profit is there in my death? He's saying, count the opportunity cost of my death, God. Uh, well, Upon reflection, it isn't quite blackmail or bargaining with God. There's a couple of things going on. He's stating the purpose of his life. Um, If I live, I praise you. So if I die, that's one less voice to sing your name. David sees that his life's purpose is to praise God. That's why his life exists. Uh, And it's so profound. It's, It's a simple point, but it's so profound. In our society, for example, it's lost that... Its purpose is to praise God. It's forgotten this purpose. You forget that people are here to praise God because um, when you forget that, it becomes a problem. Uh, And so the reason goes, uh, we actually need less people, not more people. You see David saying we need people people there to praise God. Um, But when you forget that, people become the problem. And so let me just pick one New York Times article. uh, To breed or not to breed in a world of pandemic chaos... Uh, Political strife, climate catastrophe, some would-be parents see the future as too dark to procreate. 
Uh, it's a recent article. Or, you know, in the 70s, there was the population bomb movement, uh, which called for population control, because, like, the same reasoning. Too many people. People are a problem. And, of course, that's happening again now. Uh, you know, I'm not having kids because people, uh, they're killing the planet. The planet can't sustain enough people. People are the problem. I'm moving very quickly past complex issues. But what's very clear is, is the world doesn't know what a person is for. Look where society ends up when we forget the purpose of humanity is to praise God. But David knows one more person equals one more God-glorifying unit. Humanity is to praise God. It's not about uh, sustaining the, the environment or, or living in comfort. Humanity is there to praise God. As you reflect more on these verses, you realize that David's not so much making a bargain with God as renewing uh, a vow of service to him with his life. It's not uh, reminding God of David's usefulness to the kingdom, but of reminding David of his life's purpose being for the kingdom. David here reminds himself that his every breath exists to praise God. In the, West, in the, the, the famous words at the start of the Westminster Confession, uh, the chief end of man is to glorify God. That's what he's saying, isn't it? Our lives have a purpose. There is a reason we exist, and that is to praise God. There's a reason that we're alive uh, and not dead. David, uh, he calls us to praise, to remind ourselves of this truth, and to live it out. Uh, and we do need reminding. Uh, I've, known, I've known Christians who've asked, is life worth living? They've wondered what the point of living is. They've come to a point of despair. But what they needed to come to understand is that, that God has put us here to praise him. We all have a purpose in this. The reason we're alive is to praise him, extol him in, in word and in life. And who, can, who can't do that? God has given us all that ability, hasn't he? And so God wants to use you. God wants you. I always think of the um, American... Is that going to work? Oh, hang on. The poster, you know the one, the poster... Uncle Sam. Can we get that up, Verlin? I'll leave that for you. Uncle Sam, the U.S. Army wants you. Oh, it's struggling. <laughs> we'll get there. You get the point. God wants you. And uh, the poster was used to recruit in uh, World War One and Two. Uncle Sam wants you. Well, and you, know, and you can see so clearly, I have a purpose. The Army needs me. All right, I'll sign up. But it's the same. This is, God wants you. God has a purpose for you. God needs you. Uh, he wants to use you in his kingdom. And David says, spare my life so that I may be of use. Will the dust praise you? No. God formed us from the dust to praise, to glorify him. Uh, and the, our New Testament reading was Acts 20. If, you've, uh, if you're a quick Bible flicker, flick to Acts 20, uh, 20 verse 22. Let me end by showing you a striking passage from Paul where he says the same thing. Um, so Paul, he's about to head to Jerusalem. Uh, he expects chains and afflictions, but he says, Acts 20, verse 22, uh, and now I'm on my way to Jerusalem, bound in my spirit, not knowing what I will encounter there, except that in uh, town after town, the Holy Spirit testifies to me that chains and afflictions are waiting for me. And so he's heading out, and he knows that the affliction's coming, but he continues, but I count my life of no value to myself. 
so that I may finish my course and the ministry I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of God's grace. And so that's his purpose, to testify to the gospel. Uh, And he's saying, this is what my life is for. He says, I count my life of no value. What is the value, the gain, the profit of his life? He says that I may finish the course of ministry I received. To finish the course. And God's given us all a course, a ministry to carry out, to testify, to praise, to build up, to encourage. We all have been given this by God. The purpose of Paul's life is to praise God, to extol his grace, to testify, he says, about the gospel, the gospel of salvation in Christ. Uh, And this gospel, which Paul proclaims with every breath, this gospel is the gain of which David speaks in the psalm. Uh, I want you to, if you still get your finger in Psalm 30, verse 9, imagine Jesus saying those words, verse 9. Uh, Because when God's king says, what gain is there in my death, we realize that this is the voice of the eternal King Jesus. And the gain, the profit in his death, was our eternal salvation. God did not forget his king in Sheol. He raised him to new life to rule so that we would see him again. And our tears of sorrow may be turned to joy. And that salvation, that salvation is what we praise God for. We praise God forever as we live with him forever. And so let's do that this year. Let's make uh, this year one full of praise, where we we live every day, every hour, as those praising God in response to his salvation, turning to him in praise, not self-reliance, using every breath, every moment, every dollar, every kilojoule of energy, directing praise to our Saviour, God. Let me pray to close. Heavenly Father, you blow our minds with your, sal- uh, with your plan for salvation. With the wonder of your gospel, the pain endured by your king to secure our place in heaven uh, and with the joy that awaits us. And so, Father, we ask that you be with us every moment, guiding us to live lives of praise, to sing your praise in, uh, to all that we meet. We pray that you're with us as we do that, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.